Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. No. No, Gavin, I don't want to hear about what they made you put in your butt as part of your public school hazing. You keep that between you and your therapist. The following podcast contains... Swearing, taking the Lord's name in vain. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you repeated that story about Richard Gere putting the gerbil up his ass, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 322, American Gerbilo edition of the show, where we talk about that one time people thought that Richard Gere put a gerbil up his butt. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Rodents, who want you to know you should never put a rodent in your butt. Sure, we understand that rodents are cute, soft, and look ideal for inserting into your rectum, but it's just not something you should do. Rodents are living creatures who don't belong inside your asshole. They belong in a nice cage with wood shavings, not your filthy hairy bunghole, you monster. We don't care that rodents are the same size as your favorite butt plug and never need batteries. You should never, ever slip one into your poop chute. The Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Rodents. Keep a rodent in your heart, not your butthole. Point values are double. We got top seven answers on the board. Name something a doctor might pull out of a person. Darcy. A gerbil. <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Woo! <laughs> I heard about something like that once. Yes, 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 you said it. You said it. Let me just write out like that. That's awesome. First thing you can come up with, bam, gerbil. Just like that first answer. Oh, no pressure. Bam, gerbil. Just like that. Pull it out. I've heard of this. Hey, hey, over here, over here. Gerbil. Gerbil, gerbil, gerbil. Gerbil, 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 gerbil. Name something a doctor might pull out of a person. Bam, gerbil. I don't know where or when it was that I first heard the story about Richard Gere and the gerbil. I suppose it would have had to have been in the early 80s, meaning I would have been in high school on Guam, which, when you think about it, is a testament to the power of bullshit. Just like you. And I'm proud of it. For this story to travel around the world before there was an internet, it was fucking remarkable. And if you're over the age of 40, you know the story well. But for those of you under 40, it goes a little something like this. Sometime in 1983, Richard Gere was rushed to Cedar sinai Hospital on the very down low. Upon meeting with a doctor, 
He revealed that he inserted a live gerbil into his anus. I'm sorry, what now? Using a tube from a roll of paper towels and a prodigious amount of lubricant, a live gerbil was inserted into his rectum and it apparently suffocated and could not be removed. That did not happen, by the way. Oh, absolutely none of that happened. It definitely didn't happen to Richard Gere, but that didn't stop the story from rocketing around the globe in a matter of a few days by word of mouth alone. It certainly uh, wasn't carried in the paper. I find it interesting that you refer to the Weekly World News as the paper. And if a story that spicy and defamatory wasn't in the paper, well, it, it, it didn't happen. But I definitely heard about it, and I definitely repeated it for years. I don't think I ever actually believed it, but it was a stock joke in the straight young male crowd for most of the 80s and the 90s. Urbane, sophisticated, That was us. What was it about this story and others in this vein that made them so appealing to young Americans? Why Richard Gere? Why a gerbil? Why is this story still lodged in the collective unconscious of America like a fictional dead gerbil in a celebrity butthole? You just couldn't help yourself, could you? No, no, I really couldn't. And I'm not going to be able to help myself going forward either. So let's put on our spelunking helmets and let me weeks our way down to the bottom of this story. Okay, is it going to get worse before it gets better? Almost certainly. I guess I'll begin with why Richard Gere. So dreamy, isn't he? In 1980, he starred in his first leading role in American Gigolo, playing a high-priced male escort for rich women in Los Angeles. The movie featured a full frontal nudity scene of Richard Gere, the first time an American actor showed dong in a Hollywood movie. Well, a reputable American actor in a reputable American movie, anyway. Additionally, the movie had a very unsubtle subtext that drew Gear into the role in the first place. Quoting Richard Gere in Entertainment Weekly decades later, quote, there's a kind of gay thing that's flirting through it and I didn't know the gay community at all. I wanted to immerse myself in the, all of that and literally had two weeks, so I just dove in. If I recall correctly, the nudity wasn't in the script, it was just the natural process of making the movie. I certainly felt vulnerable, but I think that's different for men than for women, unquote. And there was something conventionally and yet unconventionally attractive about Richard Gere. He possessed the kind of boy-next-door looks that wasn't exactly typical for the late 1970s and early 1980s Hollywoods and didn't give off that hyper-masculine drive that seemed to dominate the male sex symbols of the day. Think Burt Reynolds here. And the women of the time took one look at Richard Gere and said, What a hunk! Total sploosh! Words like sensitive and kind were also bandied about gear by women who would happily handle Richard's gear, if you know what I mean. And because he wasn't that rugged, manly sex symbol that American men saw themselves as, he was the natural target for the kind of slurs that made him see, you know. Dude, that's a little gay. Mel Magazine tackled this issue back in 2012, saying, quote, But wait, you're wondering. Richard Gere isn't gay, is he? Not as far as anyone knows he isn't. He's currently in his third marriage and all of them have been women. But for years, there were rumors that he was gay because he gained fame early on a Broadway production of Bent, playing a gay Holocaust victim. As his fame rose, rumors continued to swirl, only fueled by the fact that he refused to dignify such questions with an answer saying once, 
cosmically, there's nothing wrong with being heterosexual, homosexual, or omnisexual. The accusation is meaningless, and whether it's true or false, it's nobody's business. What difference does it make what anyone thinks if I live truthfully and honestly and with as open a heart as I can, unquote. So to be perfectly clear, there was no reason to think Giru is or was gay. I mean, he dated Diana Ross, Susan Sarandon, Barbara Streisand. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> At the time the rumors started, and they would go on to date Priscilla Presley, Kim Bassinger, and Cindy fucking Crawford while the rumor was at this peak. The rumor had nothing to do with reality and everything to do with the kind of performative masculinity of the time. And in men's eyes, compared to, say, Tom Selleck or Kevin Costner or Mel Gibson, gear seemed a little gay. So he was the perfect target for this kind of rumor. Now, Richard Gere certainly wasn't alone in being the target of these kind of rumors. Another staple of the time was the stomach-pumped rock star. Any number of celebrities, gay and straight, all had the rumor be of being rushed to the hospital to have copious amounts of semen pumped from their stomachs after a bacchanalian dick-sucking marathon. Very tasteful. Elton John, David Bowie, Mick Jagger all took their turns with the stomach-pump rumor, but it was Rod Stewart that seemed to catch it the worst. Rod was another one that was not considered a paragon of manhood, according to American men, yet was well known for dating incredibly beautiful women, and he just seemed to get the worst of it. Now, Stewart said of the whole stomach-pumping incident in an interview, the rumor originated with an assistant he fired, which is a story in and of itself, and you should go look it up. Quote, he fed the press a story in which I, as a consequence of an evening spent orally servicing a gang of sailors in a gay bar in San Diego, I had been required to check into a hospital emergency room to have my stomach pumped. I have never orally pleasured even a solitary sailor, let alone a ship's worth in one evening. And I never had my stomach pumped of either naval issue semen or of any other kind of semen, unquote. Now, because this is the kind of podcast that goes the extra mile for our listeners, I did the math on this. Of course you did. On the high end, the average male ejaculates between a quarter and up to a full teaspoon of jizz. Using the high end, there are 768 teaspoons in a gallon, which is the amount frequently mentioned in the legends and is pretty much the largest volume the average human stomach can expand to hold. So Rod or David or Mick would need to suck off 768 dudes in a row to fill their stomach with a gallon of cum. So I hear you asking. Nobody asked you. How long would it take to suck 768 dicks in a row? The average male nuts in five to seven minutes. Now to be sure, some amongst us have a hair trigger, but you also have to assume that anyone participating in a massive dick sucking marathon is like this is not going to be a hair trigger sort. Probably the kind of fella that is going to be able to control themselves at least a little, but you also have to assume that they wouldn't want to waste any time, so they're probably going to be taking matters into their own hands if you catch my drift. So I'm going to use the low end number of five minutes. 768 five minute fellatios time out to 3,840 minutes, which divided by 60 minutes comes up to sucking dick for 64 hours straight to create one gallon of cum. 
This is not taken into account digestion in the stomach, which opens up a whole different set of equations that frankly are just beyond my math skills, but I urge the math-inclined listeners to tackle the issues on their own. But I think it's entirely safe to say that sucking dick for 64 straight hours is frankly implausible, if not impossible. So there's no way that a gallon of cum could ever build up in the stomach to make pumping a stomach to remove said baby batter a necessity. Therefore, myth busted. So much of these rumors came directly from dudes being threatened by men they perceived as less manly than the norm. The norm primarily being fat, hairy, boorish, and possessing a tiny, shriveled dingle. That's what I heard anyway. These kinds of attacks say more about the people spreading them than the people they are being spread about. And of course, at the same time, as this frisson of masculine unease is spreading through American manhood, a bigger, darker fear is just starting to creep through the collective consciousness of America in general. It's mysterious, it's deadly, and it's baffling medical science. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Once thought to affect only promiscuous homosexual males, AIDS is now spreading in epidemic proportions to other segments of the population. The fear of AIDS that hit Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea was all out of proportion with their risk of actually getting AIDS, but that never stopped America from being AIDS-filled before. And I remember the jokes growing darker and sicker as the time went along. I had only the vaguest idea about what being gay was in 1983, but the one thing I knew for sure was that it was disgusting. This is because I was 14 and an ignorant piece of shit, but also that is what society was telling me every time it took a breath and it seemed to revolve around putting things in your butt because apparently that's all the gay people ever did. An, on an article on the conversation.com documents just one article about the dangers of putting anything, but particularly a penis up your butt. Quote, Published in the popular science magazine Discover in December of 1985, medical illustrations and considerations about human anatomy are used to portray the rectum as vulnerable and the vagina as rugged, designated to withstand the trauma of intercourse. As a result, the article concluded AIDS is now and is likely to remain largely the fatal price one can pay for anal intercourse, unquote. If Discover magazine an actual magazine with a strong precedent of getting the science right was saying that, then you can imagine what the common wisdom was saying about AIDS. Just Google Sam Kinison and AIDS for a pretty clear example of said common wisdom. Once upon a time, I would have played you the clip, but even Sam Kinison felt he was out of line just a few years later when the reality of HIV became clearer. What I'm trying to say is people were frightened and really fucking homophobic, so we created and spread stories of things gay people supposedly did to deserve AIDS. You guys are assholes. This, I cannot deny. It was around the time that these rumors got really going that tales of things in anuses that clearly do not belong in anuses became very popular. Quoting from the website theall.com written in 2012, quote, not too long after the gay gerbiling rumor made its splashy early 80s debut, doctors David B. Bush and James R. Starling published a surgical stats report in surgery titled Rectal Foreign Bodies. This 1986 article, which gathered information from prior literature on rectal foreign bodies or RFOs, is the most frequently cited scientific document when it comes to gerbiling. Bush and Starling tabulated 182 cases by type and number of objects. Among them included two whip handles, one plastic rod, one bottle with attached rope, one frozen pig's tail, 
No gerbils, though, not even the tail, unquote. The initial article wasn't written as a debunking of the gerbil rumor, but as a genuine medical article on how to treat rectal foreign bodies. But it quickly became a running joke both in and out of the medical community that has stuck around longer than the gerbil rumor has and became sort of a go-to punchline for any fucking hack joke out there. Million to one shot, duck. Million to one. Deadspin used to, and now Defector does run an annual story at the end of every year titled, What Did We Get Stuck in Our Rectums This Year? Though, to be fair, they have expanded it to all the other orifices. And despite it being absolutely fucking funny, which it is, there is always just that whiff of, look what those gays put in their butts. And this is despite being zero evidence that I could find that said it was more common for gay men than straight men to put improper things in their poop shoots. The biggest commonalities involved were that they were men and that they were in their 30s to 40s. For the most disturbing and therefore dangerous items that were found, the real commonality wasn't sexual pleasure, it was mental illness. No one shoves shards of glass in their asshole because they think it's going to feel good. Well, maybe no one but Albert Fish. And it wasn't just something people did in the 80s and 90s. From a National Institute of Health article titled, Increasing Trends in Retained Rectal Foreign Bodies put out in 2016, quote, 25 patients presented over a five-year period with a mean age of 39, 17 to 62, male to female ratio of two to one. A progressive rise in cases was noted from 2008 to 2012, Thanks, Obama, with three, four, four, six, and eight recorded patients per year, respectively. The majority of impacted rectal objects were used for self or partner eroticism. The most common retained rectal foreign bodies were sex vibrators and dildos. 96% of the patients required extraction, while one passed spontaneously. Two and three patients had retrieval in the emergency department and on ward, respectively, while 19 patients required examination under anesthesia for extraction. The mean hospital stay was 19 hours, as associated psychological issues included depression, deliberate self-harm, illicit drug use, anxiety, and alcoholism. There were no psychosocial problems identified in 15 patients, unquote. There is zero documented evidence of anyone ever putting a gerbil in their butt. Columnist Dan Savage wrote in 2013, quote, I have never had a gerbil in my ass. This statement is not controversial for the reasons one would hope. It isn't uncontroversial in the, hey, that's uncalled for sense, like say a woman at a dinner party announcing that she doesn't have a hedgehog in her vagina. That would be uncalled for because no one would suspect her of concealing a hedgehog. But being a gay man or Richard Gere in America means always having to reassure people that you don't have a gerbil in your ass. At dinner parties, during family reunions, at funerals, on CNN, at passport control, wherever. For while gay men and I assume Richard Gere don't put gerbils in their asses, not a day goes by that someone, usually a straight 13-year-old boy, doesn't try to shove one in. Figuratively speaking, hundreds of thousands of men and women in this country, my fellow Americans, leave high school convinced that gay men put gerbils in their asses on a semi-regular basis. Unlike the denial of our 
hypothetical dinner party guest, the woman innocent of stuffing hedgehogs into her vagina, my denial of stuffing gerbils is necessitated by the accusation. If it were widely believed that women stuffed hedgehogs into their vagina, then women would have to deny hedgehogging. Unquote. The story has always been utterly apocryphal and older than the Richard Gere iteration. In fact, a folk historian, Becky Vorpagel, dug into the story of the gerbil in 1990 and was able to piece together the habit trail of the story from its earliest origins. You just can't help yourself, can you? Look, I'm debunking like a madman here. At least let me keep a few innocent gerbil jokes. In that article, the earliest documented reports but people claiming to do something like this came from men trying to avoid the draft by telling their induction centers that they did it with rats and mice. And by the 1980s and 90s, lurid tales used to avoid an immoral war were now used luridly and immorally to dehumanize gay men suffering from a heartbreak and a terrifying disease because, I don't know, that's just how we do, I guess. Quoting again from the all.com quote, Vorpagel identifies this impulse and the legend's popularity to its functioning as an expression of public unease about homosexual practices compounded by anxiety about AIDS. And the start of the 1980s, gay men were already perceived as socially and sexually deviant. And if anything, it's not a secret how it's how especially openly homophobic American culture was throughout this decade. With the addition of AIDS and the attendant narrative of gay desires being punishable by death, there seem to be concerns in the mainstream that maybe gay people, already alienated, weren't being alienated quite enough. Toss in interspecies sex with a small, dirty, rat-like creature into the mix, and you simply get a variation on a theme. Gay sexuality is a realm plagued with abnormality, shame-inducing behaviors, and incomprehensible stupidity. As AIDS grew increasingly visible throughout the 80s, Americans were failing quite atrociously to comprehend the reality, mechanics, and science behind AIDS. When AIDS diagnosis is shot up during 1983 to 1984, the gerbiling story was only one of many ways in which the public tried to define the threat of gayness, unquote. So we come to the final question. Why is this still stuck in our brains? I mean, it has been almost 40 years since the first rumors went around. And through those 40 years, the story keeps churning up in pop culture. Most of the articles I cited were less than 10 years old and coincide, strangely enough, with the push for legalization for gay marriage. And that was a success. So why even bring it up? Well, first of all, when I started writing this, I thought the story was funny. I remember thinking it was hilarious as a young person and like almost everything else I thought was hilarious as a young person, when I research it, it turns out to be really fucking horrifying. It was cruel, it was dehumanizing, and it was utterly vile and it wasn't funny at all. But even knowing this, I still found it a little funny and I could think I could carry a show on it. And here we are at the end of 30 odd minutes filled with sideways jokes about butt stuff and gerbils. What do you want, a cookie? Is there a non-hurtful homophobic reason to be talking about this story after all this time? A search for the term gerbiling on Google reveals that this story is nowhere near dead, with thousands of articles and messages flowing back and forth, both bunking and debunking the idea that it's even possible to do what is claimed. Only in the more academic articles will you see why this myth was and is so prevalent and the damage it did and does. Most are focused on, like I was, how funny it sounded. 
which if you strip it out of context and concentrate on just the absurdity of the whole idea, might actually be objectively funny. South Park's Lemmy Weeks episode managed to do that and created an absurdist fantasy taking place entirely inside the human colorectal tract, which I gotta say is a fucking neat trick if you can pull it off, but this podcast is not South Park, and there's no way I could pull the nose up on this negativity train, so I'm gonna plow it right into the mountain, which when I say... Even if it were true about gerbling, which it is not, the cruelty of prepping the gerbil, trust me, you do not want the details about this. You really don't. Is to the point the gerbil couldn't even survive. So, no, there really isn't any other reason for these stories sticking around besides a deeply embedded homophobia. Right now, there's a major bullshit battle in the culture wars about trans rights and recognizing non-binary genders being fought by the right in their ongoing process of shooting themselves in the dick. They continue to use the tactics of othering trans people just like we did with gay people in the 80s. In the echo chamber of conservative media, the effect is exactly the same as it was when the mass media was running panic stories about AIDS that got reflected in wild fucking rumors about gerbils and buttholes. It's a feature, not a bug. It burrows into the brains of people who don't know shit about shit and scares them because the biggest threat to the conservative minds is difference. So spread around the lies and let human nature take it from there. We practice casual cruelty without much thinking about it, and we cloak it in jokes and funny stories. A lot of comedians, some of whom I genuinely respect, complain that you can't joke about anything anymore because someone's feelings are going to get hurt. Well, yeah, if what you're joking about hurts people, then their feelings get hurt. The difference between now and 1983 is at least the, we can see how our stupid stories and dumb jokes hurt other people. Richard Gere is fine. I doubt he lost a fucking minutes of sleep over these dumb stories whenever a new spate of them came around. But the real target of these stories knew exactly who was being talked about, and it was them. And they weren't a rich fucking famous Hollywood guy fucking Cindy Crawford, and they didn't have a fucking platform to stand up and say, hey, asshole, that fucking hurts. So maybe examine the stories you tell for telltale markers of hurtful bullshit. There are no gerbils and buttholes, and there are no trans kids hiding in the bathroom to get a peek up your wife's skirt while she takes a shit. No one wants to see that. Well, maybe you, if the two of you are into that sort of thing, and if you are, good for you, because if I've learned anything this week, it's not to kink shame. And other thing I've learned is make sure to always have a solid retrieval plan for anything you put inside your butthole. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. Every damn time I do one of these shows where I think, oh man, that was funny back in 1985. Turns out, horrible. And if I happen to mention it to certain elements and peer groups from the time, they call me a snowflake or a social justice warrior. And I'm like, hey, asshole, no, I evolved in the past 40 fucking years. How about you? One of these days, I'm going to find one of these things that we thought was funny that wasn't at someone else's expense. But uh, today's not that day. In fact, speaking of never going to happen, rate and review this show so other people can find us, listen to us for about three minutes and say, nope, never going to happen. 
All of my off-putting thoughts can be found on the social at the hell underscore podcast and the show name on Facebook. Want your dreams shattered and ad-free and early shows every week? Kick us a dollar on Patreon, patreon.com slash what the hell podcast and all of our broken dreams can be found at what the hell podcast.com we're a proud member of the Celtic Kings podcast network who took one look at our topic this week and just walked away making manic gestures and, and muttering frantically under their breath so for me Dave no thanks man I'm not into butt stuff Bledsoe producer interior Americans actually believe that a small rodent in a bum would feel good Gavin all the fictional urban legends on this show we want to say never put anything in your butt you are 100% sure you cannot get out by yourself. Trust us on this. You don't want to know why we know it. And we'll see you all next week. I ain't putting no boogie in nobody's butt. That's nasty, man. What you talking about? Putting boogies in people's butt. You out your mind or something? You go to jail with doing something like that. Well, step aside, my friend. I've been doing it for years. I say sit on down. Open your eyes and open up your ears. Say put a tree in your butt. Put a, a bubble bee. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.